Hello and welcome to the Crack and Banter podcast with me, Reese, and my co-host Luke. Luke, how are you doing today? I'm very well. Thank you for having me on the Crack and Banter podcast. It's I was going to say it's a beautiful day, but I looked out my window. It's, it's actually not. It's quite overcast and cloudy, but it it's is, a beautiful yeah. day, metaphorically. It is, yes. Uh, it's a the weather doesn't have to be nice for it to be a beautiful day, nonetheless. You know, uh, I think I think those things can be mutually exclusive. Um, but I think it is. It's a nice day. I've had a lovely wee day, and uh, I'm all the better off for recording this wonderful podcast with you. So uh, yeah, it's nice to nice to be chatting again. Um, shall we talk some news of the week first? I would love to talk about the news. Excellent. Actually, all the news this week is all about casting. We've got some some big casting news this week. So first things first, we have Oscar Isaac has been cast as Moon Knight. Do you know much about the comic mm. character Moon Knight? Um, I haven't read any Moon Knight comics, but I do actually. I am familiar with the character. Uh, should I explain it for anyone that doesn't know? I mean, if you're more yeah. familiar with it, um, I am. I'm not really familiar at all. So, so absolutely work away. Okay, so Moon Knight is a Marvel character, and he bears some similarities to Batman, but he's quite a different character. So, uh, he is a rich individual who decides to become a vigilante uh, and due to personal tragedies but differences between um, Moon Knight and uh, Batman obviously (laughs) there's the difference between the costume Batman wears all black or grey or whatever Moon Knight is the colour of the moon he dresses in an all white hooded costume but what's interesting about Moon Knight is he is Shall we say insane? <laughs> he, uh, he's, his tactics are a bit more off the wall and brutal than Batman. Yeah, and he he's somewhat of an unreliable narrator. So I would I I'm actually quite interested in. Is it a series or a film? I have no idea. I have no idea if it's gonna be if it's even gonna be like a solo thing or if it's just Moon Knight will maybe appear in some other things. I'm not sure what way this is gonna go. Um, mm. But yeah, Oscar Isaac. I I had in my head that we already knew this for a while, but maybe it's this is it being officially announced. Um, I think it's. I, uh, yeah, it's been rumored, maybe. Yeah, yeah, I was going. Yeah, I think it was rumored. I think this is uh, something of a passion project of his. I mean, mm. I don't. Uh, I don't want to like overstate maybe his level of involvement, but I think uh, a lot of this was driven from him. Maybe I think he. This is something that he was quite passionate about doing. I mean, I think it's, cool. it's I think he is not that there's lots of very well written comic book characters, but if I had to be a bit harsh, I would say you maybe get a selection of comic book characters who end up being a bit semi in terms of personality. So yeah. having someone like Moon Knight, who's a bit different and a bit more out there as a character concept. I mean, mm-hmm. I think we've seen that previously where there's maybe been slightly as I said, off-the-wall characters introduced into the Marvel uh, universe via t- uh, films or television that I think have ended up being some of the most interesting and engaging characters. Yeah, for sure. I, I like Oscar Isaac a lot, so I'm, I'm excited for that. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure what that's going to be. Um, it maybe was announced, but I certainly don't remember <laughs> whether that's going to be a show or a season or a, a movie or if it's just the character appearing in other stuff. No idea, but I'm excited to see it. That's probably a, a little while off now anyway, but 
yeah, I think Moon Knight's pretty cool. It's a nice little, uh, a nice new character that's sort of still, uh, it contrasts some of the new super powerful characters that we've gotten to have have a Moon Knight. So I, I think that's quite cool. And yeah, not really, we haven't seen a lot of like um, sort of Batman-esque night stalker characters in, in the MCU. You know, everyone kind of fights in, in the open, in the daytime kind of thing. We haven't seen like the proper vigilante go out at night and stop, you know, burglars or whatever. So I think that's kind of uh, a nice little departure for for the MCU because everyone else is just kind of, a- apart from Spider-Man, everyone, like no one really has a secret identity. No one has a, a double life that they lead or whatever. Everyone's kind of just doing the full-time hero gig. So I think it's kind of cool to have the the proper vigilante um, kind of classic superhero. So that, that'll be fun. Yeah. Um, I, I was gonna, yeah, I was gonna say, sorry. I enjoyed the darker Marvel tone of um, the definite. I didn't see yet Luke Cage or Iron Fist, but I really enjoyed the darker tone of Daredevil and yeah. Punisher and Jessica Jones. So I think maybe getting something a little bit darker and Moon Knight a bit more adult could actually be very interesting. Yeah, for sure. Actually, that's 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 really cool. Um, well, sticking kind of with marvel <laughs> tangentially uh we also have casting for craven the hunter so I, I think this is sony still uh we were talking a little bit about this last week actually with venom um so this is this is in sony's version of the spider-man universe which is uh it's that kind of maybe it'll be in the mcu maybe it won't it depends how well the movies do and whether people like the characters um but we they have cast and this is where it gets interesting aaron taylor johnson to play Craven the Hunter, which for anyone who doesn't know, Aaron Taylor Johnson previously played Quicksilver in the MCU. Quicksilver in the MCU, we have now seen returning, except not really returning, returning in air quotes in WandaVision. Uh, so an interesting Marvel series of crossovers there to have Aaron Taylor Johnson come back as Craven. But I, I'm, I'm not really angry at that at all. I think we, we've reached the point now in Hollywood where when because sometimes, if, certainly when I picture Craven the Hunter, uh, for anyone who doesn't know, he's, as his name would suggest, a, a hunter. He hunts for sport and is incredibly powerful and now hunts kind of uh, the most powerful beings on Earth and uh, Spider-Man being one of the strongest people on Earth. Craven has set him as his next target. So he's, he's a very famous Spider-Man villain. Um, but <laughs> with, with all that, you imagine him as being this quite hulking figure which I, I don't know if Aaron Taylor, Taylor Johnson necessarily would be, but we've reached this point but, where that doesn't really matter because as we've seen, anyone can get into any kind of shape in Hollywood. It doesn't really, it doesn't really matter how they start out or what they kind of have been cast as before. Uh, we can, anyone can transform into anything. So I think that's kind of cool. I like Aaron Taylor Johnson a lot too. So I, I like it. Yeah. 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 Uh, all, all this means to me is that, um, Craven's going to appear in the MCU played by Evan Peters in six years' time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, no. I like but, it. <laughs> but yeah, no, I think, uh, I think it's good casting because I think he's he's one of those actors maybe that hasn't been in enough things. Uh, yeah. I know that's weird because, I mean, he's been in some big movies like he had Kick-Ass, the Kick-Ass films he was in. Uh, Avengers Age of Ultron but I I, I think as an actor I've enjoyed what I've seen him and I think we're yet to see the best of him so I think mm-hmm. 
a role that I would actually describe as quite hard to strike the right tone with, with someone yes. like Craven. It could be a really interesting one for him to get his teeth into. I think in terms yeah. of physicality, I, I, he's, I, I think he's quite tall, so I think he fills out a bit, plus he'll get costume and makeup. I think he'll have the look. Yeah, uh, I, yeah. I mean, he's by no means a, a scrawny guy. We've seen him. He was in uh, the first Godzilla movie as well, and and even in Age of Ultron. Like he's he's by no means a little skinny weak kid, but um, yeah. And I think he is quite tall, so I could I could definitely see this happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think what I was sort of getting that with Craven maybe being a difficult role to strike the right balance with is you, is you essentially have a character who is maybe a bit camp really yeah. i mean he's, he's a guy who sort of wears funny costume and hunts big game prey yeah he's a uh, very pantomime villain like he his not not that he doesn't have a a motive behind him but his motive is extremely villainous in that he just wants to hunt <laughs> you know uh, it's not necessarily the the best um it's it's a it's a villain three and three which i think is good we don't need to always have sympathetic villains so i i think that's a that that's a good thing you know um but yeah it could be hard to not just make that almost like parody the character and just be like ah i like to hunt things you know to make that character still complex enough to be enjoyable uh, and i think i think that's a good get for it yeah i think i think the best way to do that is maybe somewhat play into the campness a bit but play it straight enough so that the character can be taken seriously. Almost actually to be fair, what Michael Keaton did with the with the vulture. Yeah. The vulture yeah. is a very silly character in the comics. <laughs> but yes. and Keaton sort of plays it with enough humor that it's it doesn't feel but it doesn't feel like a parody. You know, he, yeah. he was menacing, but you know the scenes where he was playing I can't remember his daughter's name in the film, but when he when he was just being her dad, he yeah, sort of he felt a like a dad. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and even even the bits where he kind of uh, he lands and he's just talking to like his his goons in his workshop or whatever, it it yeah. just feels like a guy at his job, you know, which I think is is good because then we see we have like those moments where you can you understand the character and then kind of the the little bits of levity with the humor. And then we have like the big, really menacing moments when he kind of switches into villain mode because he's like, okay, now I need to scare this guy off. So now I'm going to really, <laughs> you know, put, push myself to uh, to that scarier, more villainous place. And I think that, yeah, it really worked for that character. So I could see a similar thing happening here. I mean, I think Spider-Man has some really incredible villains. So this will be good. I mean, the thing is, we don't really know what he's going to do because if this is in the Sony Venom universe, Will he maybe be trying to hunt Venom? I guess that would make sense. Or is it going to be? I think it's a cre. I think it's a Craven movie. So I don't know what they're going to do if they're going to use other characters or what they're going to make his goals in this. I'm not really sure. Um, I'm not really sure what all they have to do. It's it's because Sony now have this universe of Spider-Man villains with no Spider-Man because Spider-Man's yeah. in the MCU. That I I don't know where they're going to go with any of them so far. I mean the. Only the first Venom movies come out, and it, I did enjoy it. And the second one looks like it's going to be fun as well. So they haven't really got anything wrong yet. But it is weird to have, you know, all of these Spider-Man characters and not the the central character that you kind of need mm. to tie them together. So um, 
I'm interested to see what way they go with it. If they're just going to make him, I don't know, kill lions or something. I, I guess I feel like there's no way. Uh, that's not very. You can't really root for that guy, can you? I, I think. I think they might pitch him as an anti-hero because I mean, sometimes Senzu's motives aren't. His motives are villainous, but he's not necessarily a villain. Like he doesn't. All of the time, sometimes he definitely is a villain, but <laughs> yeah. sometimes he has fought on the same side of Spider Man. I think they might pitch him at the level of an anti hero. I mean, yeah, I, I think I do agree with you. I see some difficulty for Sony and and what they do with these movies since they're essentially working with the rogues gallery without <laughs> yeah. the hero. Uh, but I, I would have to imagine. It, I, I, I wouldn't mind if I don't think you're going to get a standalone superhero movie where the main character is an out-and-out out villain. Uh, I, I, it would surprise me. Uh, that's... Yeah, I, I know what you mean. Um, yeah, it, it, would be, it would be tricky to do. I think especially with someone like Craven, where I really don't want them to make it a serious kind of Joker-esque movie with Craven. I want it to have some level of campness like you're saying like i don't i would really i don't know if i would enjoy the grim reality of you know craven the hunter growing up and on a safari or whatever and his parents are evil and he you see all of his hardships or whatever i, I don't think i don't think that's one what i want to see i want to see a kind of maniacal uh guy who just wants to kill spider-man you know um i think that's that's what i want but I don't really have much reason to doubt Sony so far. They've done some good stuff, some bad stuff, and some great stuff. So uh, we'll just see. And I, I like that casting as well. So I'm, I'm happy enough, and I'm sure I'll watch it. <laughs> um, I have one more piece of casting news, though, um, which is interesting. But, uh, yeah, sorry, were you going to say something? Uh, yeah, no, it was just a final thought. was sort of thinking, I think at the moment, Sony are going for the right approach in that they recognize they have limited properties, so they're hiring sort of they're hiring very talented actors to make a strong focal points for these movies i mean tom hardy uh, venom was essentially tom hardy's own baby when you watch the film i yeah. mean it gave a very unique spin on the character and i acted has acted the hell out of everything <laughs> yeah uh, and i think uh, personal thoughts on them aside, Jared Leto is another very talented actor that you can build a movie around. And as I said, mm -hmm. I think Aaron Taylor-Johnson honestly has that potential now. He has a strong supporting cast with Nicolas Cage and Chloe, Chloe Grace Mortez. I don't know how to pronounce her last name, so I apologise if she's listening. I very much doubt she is, but you never know. Uh, no, this, this he... podcast actually does really well in Hollywood specifically. We've like almost entirely a celebrity fan base. <laughs> this is crazy. Your your favorite actor's favorite podcast. <laughs> get, get that in the description in the Instagram account. Uh, yeah. But yeah, so I think he gave a very strong central performance in Kick Ass. So mm -hmm. I, I think it's the way to go. You know, when you're competing around I, I as probably at the moment, now that Fox are gone the third biggest company making Ooh. superhero films uh, you, you know you have to do something fairly unique to stand out from the crowd 
yeah for sure for sure no i i think i think they're doing that and uh yeah i'm excited about this but yeah the last piece of casting news in in uh movies we didn't need news this week we have the the casting of uh timothy chalamet as a young willy wonka for the willy wonka prequel movie that is happening is this is this what you is this what we want is this what we need a willy wonka prequel is that i mean does anyone want that? the first thought is why make a prequel you know when the book didn't have a prequel but it does have a sequel no one's ever made into a movie yeah i mean the sequel is bonkers is it not it's <laughs> Sequels, it is yeah. absolutely insane. It, it, <laughs> it was basically just like Roald Dial took the first one, was like, it's weird, fairly normal book. Now let's just make it weird. <laughs> yeah, so wh- what what is this gonna be? A Willy Wonka prequel? Um, I, I imagine I imagine this is going <laughs> I mean I don't know, but I like to imagine this is going down like the Cruella Joker kind of uh, <laughs> going down that same route, and there's going to be a a grim, real look at the the villain that is Willy Wonka. <laughs> he absolutely is a villain. I know. The, the, the movies gloss guy. over it. Yeah, the movies gloss over it a bit. It's called the, Willy the Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. It should be called Willy Wonka and the Attempted Murder of Children. No, even if you ignore the chat. Sorry, I'm about to say just one of the weirdest sentences I think I'll ever come out of my mouth. Even if you ignore the child's murder. Yes, he's still he's still like a I don't know slave owner. But yeah, slave owner at the very least, uh, sweatshop owner. It's is a pretty bad guy all all in. And yeah, he also is putting he's putting too he's putting them to too much work to make chocolate bars. You know, like. It's not that hard to make chocolate bars, and he's having them do extensive manual labor for presumably 24 hours a day. We don't see them sleep. We don't see any like uh, barracks or quarters for the Oompa Loompas. So we can assume they are working flat out to just yeah. produce chocolate bars. That, that, it, it can't be that difficult. Um, it, it simply can't be. The books aren't ambiguous about this, by the way. The Oompa Loompas are not some sort of alien worker race you're happy to do is bidding the the Olympus and are are in the books are people are like a native tribe who lived in a rainforest that yeah. Willy Wonka abducted and put to work in his factory and the the Gene Wilder movie simply painted them orange because they didn't think having a literal slave class and yeah, the, the way this chocolate factory worked would go over that well with all audiences. Yeah, that, I could see that being problematic, you know. Yeah. Um, so, so maybe that's what this prequel's about. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's gonna be Timothy Chalamet wrangling up Oompa Loompas, I guess. Is that what people want to see? Is that what you want to bring your kids to? You guys all you love. You guys love the the wacky antics of Gene Wilder or the 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 witty comedy of Johnny Depp. You want to see a, a child enslave some native people? You, oh, you don't? That's not for kids. I'm I'm uh, I'm just imagining <laughs> if there's gonna be a dark tech and beating someone to death with his cane. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's I, like I, we just see like the origins for all of uh, everything that is to come in the the movie. Do you reckon this will be a prequel to 
the Johnny Depp version or the Gene Wilder version or just ambiguous? It'll, it'll be his own thing, but it'll probably be closer to the Johnny Depp version because you know that was the version that was the most it was more accurate to the books. The the Gene Wilder one, which I would have to admit I haven't seen, I've only seen the Johnny Depp one, but I've read the differences between well, I've read the book, so I know how it would be different. But yeah. the Gene Wilder version was a very was a, was adapted to make a lot of the themes more accessible to uh, an American audience because I mean it wouldn't have been that weird in Britain because uh, obviously everyone here grew up ro- reading Roald Dahl's books so there wouldn't have been anything that really would have shocked us because the majority of, not the majority of people but a, a vast chunk of the population have probably read Charlie and the Chocolate Factory but yeah. a lot of the themes in that book the I think the producers just decided it wouldn't really pl- play well with American audiences. Yeah. Oh, do you want, actually, do you want the blistering hot take? Yes, go for it. I really like the, the Johnny Depp, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory movie. I think... Oh, I like it too. I think people just... Uh, I read, like, loads of bad things, but I just think people didn't get it. Yeah, but I think if I... you're a Raw Dial fan, it, it really worked. Yeah, it's, it's kind of... It's funny, but it has... A that sort of strange, slightly darker tone that feels very that feels kind of what the Roald Dahl books are like as well. Even if you've ever, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, read obviously I, I've yeah read them a lot as a as a kid, and then even movies like the uh, the James and the Giant Peach movie as well. Like they have this sort of strange. It's not dark, but it just yeah. there's like oh. some some energy with them that's just a little that's- bit off putting or like. Almost like yeah. uh, uncanny or something. It just puts you a little bit on edge, and and I feel like it really nails that because I think that is that does come from the books a lot as well. I don't know, man. D- d- I can't. I can't see why we needed this movie. It, this feels like people sat in a boardroom and they saw that Timothy Chalamet was popular, and they thought, what What else is popular? Prequels, gritty reboots. What can we do? What characters do we own? We own the rights to Willy Wonka, oh. so let's let's do that. Like that, this I is what that feels like. I can't even begin to imagine all the thirst tweets when you get the first pictures of um, Timothy Chalamet dressed as uh, Willy Wonka. It's yeah. going to be insane. Oh no! I just <laughs> nothing about this makes me excited. You know, <laughs> this just. And do you know what the worst thing is? It's so weird that I know we have to see it. You know, like every you've said, even I know this isn't a Disney property, but when we were talking about the likes of Cruella and and Disney reboots and prequels and all that stuff, and and you've mentioned several times about how they're they're mm. gonna get round to everything. Yeah, it hasn't. I still haven't quite got used to it yet. I <laughs> every time one of these comes out, it just boggles me so much. I cannot like. I just can't fathom it. A Willy Wonka prequel. Like saying those, imagine pitching that and not being laughed out of the room at the, the words Willy Wonka prequel. I, they, I just they will just make anything. But I know. For, but yet so many great ideas don't get, like just don't get seen. I, I don't. Uh, I just Hollywood. can't stomach this when there's several great uh, Royal, Royal Dial books that they haven't adapted yet. Yeah, true. Like a twit. I don't know how you'd make it into a movie. It maybe be better as like a half-hour TV special. 
Mm. But I think the twits could be massively entertaining. Yeah, I guess it is. It is like a pretty quintessentially British thing, isn't it? Or UK at least, like the Roald Dahl books. Maybe, maybe it just isn't like a global, a global enough thing for people to make. But like, I don't know. It it, think- uh, it 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 annoys me a little bit, but more than anything, just confuses me. <laughs> so. I. I think a good role dial adaption, you do need someone who gets the source material. I yeah. just want to point out that I actually absolutely forgotten until this conversation about adaptions of role dial stuff that there yeah. was a witches movie a few months ago. I know, and there's like an old old witches movie as well, which the, is the old one's good. borderline it's, terrifying. It's so good though. That that that's why like they just didn't shy away from anything in the book. Yeah, exactly. That's it. It does it. It works very well. Um, okay, that's enough about that before I get any more angry and confused. I think I need to move on because my brain's going to melt if I keep picturing Timothy Chalamet as a young Willy Wonka. So uh, let's move on to our topic for this week, which is our favourite fight scenes. So, I mean, I'll say right away, we're not being, we're not really putting any parameters on what constitutes a fight scene technically or whatever. Well, this is just anything that is that you deem a fight. I don't think there's any real rules about what is and isn't a fight. Do you Do you think so? As long as there is uh, two groups, there is at least two people trying to either kill each other, hit each other with a weapon, beat the snot of each other, incapacitate each other, I think it's a fight. Actually, I said people, two separate entities. Yeah. Like... Even uh, like man versus an animal would count, in my opinion. Yes. It's just as long as it's two people pitted, at least two things pitted against each other antagonistically, it's a fight. I agree. I agree. So no one come at us with uh, that isn't actually a fight scene. That isn't technically an action sequence. Uh, listen. Also, no, I mean, no one's ex- going to, but who cares? Yeah. <laughs> this also isn't exhaustive. So if you don't include your favorite fight scene, it's either because we forgot about it or we've not actually seen it. Yeah, you know? yeah, there are there are plenty. I mean, I did not run out of ideas for this. There was just some things that I was like, I'll leave that out because I don't really have anything to say about it or certainly not anything original to say about it. There's a lot of great action and fight scenes out there. Your favourite is undoubtedly good, but we might not mention it. There's also some things that probably just don't even need mentioned, you know, like something to go without saying as well, but it's completely possible we might have forgotten because they're kind of the, the pinnacle already, you know? I, I just, I, I've, I always feel like this anytime we talk about favourites that I, I know for a, a fact that I'm forgetting things, you know? I know for sure there's things that I see and that I love and I've just not written down. So, yeah, this is just this is just our list, our little, our picks that, that we really, really like. Um, yeah, I... I uh, I'm gonna let you start us look and with a fight scene. Okay. I think we're not gonna split into too much, too many categories or anything like that. But yeah, yeah. yeah you can say whether it's your top of all time or or a specific. If there's anything specific about it, you just whatever, whatever. Well, I'll start with uh, the most bare bones a fight scene can be, and that is two people with no weapons, just fists. So, yeah. uh, one of my favorite fight scenes is the boxing match at the end of the first Creed movie. 
Oh yeah, nice, nice. Yeah, go ahead. Explain what happens in that. Okay, so um, Creed for people who don't know is uh, was uh, actually it's probably a few years ago now. It's probably what 2016, 2017? I maybe? guess I would guess around then, yeah. Yeah, so it was a follow-up to the Rocky movies. Uh, the main character is Adonis Creed, who's the son of Apollo Creed, the the guy Rocky fights in the first Rocky movie and who later becomes Rocky's friend. Uh, so uh, he starts out as an unknown fighter and he ends up pairing up with uh, Rocky as his trainer. And he gets a title fight against uh, oh, I can't remember his his name in the movie, but it's it's he's it's a world champion boxer played by the real life boxer Tony Bellew. Um, that that's something I really like about that the those Creed movies. They all the boxers in them, apart from uh, Apollo Creed, sorry Adonis Creed, are played by real life boxers. Yeah. So, uh, yes. So basically, the the boxer Tony Bellew plays needs a patsy essentially for his last fight because he's going to go to prison and he needs an easy payday. So he picks an on Adonis Creed as an unknown fighter because of the name va- value of the Creed's name. Uh, mm-hmm. So fast forward to the end of the movie, and if you want to go, if you want to watch the movie, there I will give spoilers to the result of this fight. Uh, so if you want to watch the movie, which I would highly recommend, it's a really good, yeah, not just a really it good is, box. It is great. It's just a really good movie. So if you if you want to watch this, either pause and watch it and listen to this at some other point, or just fast forward and come back to this after. So the at the end of the movie, we've got a, a Creed versus uh, the Tony Bellew's character, and what makes this such a good fight scene in my mind is well first of all it looks really accurate i actually think i remember reading some of the behind the scenes uh stuff uh for from this movie uh michael b jordan who plays adonis creed did a lot of boxing training and uh so as a result his he looks really good in the ring and obviously getting a proper boxer to play his own it looks really good it's uh, the, the the fights in this movie are some of the best you're going to see in any boxing movie as, as to how realistic they look mm. so th- this fight this fight takes up a, a decent portion of the end of the movie like it's not short but what that does is it is it tells a story without really the need for words uh, there's some words when they sort of between rounds when he's in the corner but for the most part there's no speaking in this yeah. And where this really seals itself as an iconic movie in the genre in my head, and as and one of the most iconic points in the whole Rocky series is uh, Creed gets knocked down and he looks like he's out, and it sort of cuts to a really emotional sort of set of scenes about his dad and his fights with Rocky and he starts to get up and then you get in the background you get louder and louder the the music from the first Rocky movie you know the mm. din, 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 din. 
I mean, at that point, I'm just thinking about that moment and I'm getting goosebumps. Yeah, it's yeah. So good. And he starts, yeah, and he, it's almost like in this fight, he's channeling the energy of both uh, his his dad and uh, Rocky. Yeah. Oh, it's emotional. And then to cap it off in the last round, and as I think this spits a real homage to the original Rocky, where Rocky doesn't win this fight against Apollo Creed. He's he's hammering uh, the world champion and he knocks him down just before the just as the round finishes in the last round box and you can't get saved by the bell, so you have to get back up. So it looks like for a moment he's won, but then uh, Tony Belly's character gets up and he loses. So eventually he loses. But it's sort of as I said, what makes that moment so perfect is it's just such a great homage to the original Rocky where yeah. uh, Rocky doesn't actually win, but it seals him. It's what seals him as a hero, because, I mean, it's very easy for a sports movie, especially when it's boxing, to have their guy win in the end. But what, sh- what seals both Creed and Rocky in the original as proper heroes is that they don't always win, but they'll always get back up, and they'll always give it everything they have. Uh, that's just... It's, it's so good. It's just is an absolute masterclass in how to tell a story uh, in a sports movie, in a boxing movie. Yeah, for sure. I, I really love that movie as well. And yeah, that fight is it's like a very, very story-based fight, but still this, this the action still looks great, you know. They don't they don't mm-hmm. um the action doesn't suffer because of that, you know. Um and it really does. It kind of uses both of those things well to tell a great story and have like great character moments but also make it really engaging to watch which is just very very good because I think you know I, I have some great fight scenes here but uh, a lot of them are just incredible action but it's incredible fast-paced non-stop action and nothing there's not a lot of progression story or character wise there and that's not a bad thing you can still have an excellent uh, incredible fight scene without that and it, and it's still going to be great you know but to to do both it is really really impressive um so yeah that's that's a great pick look that's a great first one um i'm going to start off with uh, uh just uh, it's not related at all but i don't know where else to talk about this one um again a, a more simple fight that kind of gradually progresses and uh, becomes more and more ridiculous I'm going to talk a little bit about the uh, the three way sword fight in Pirates of the Caribbean Two: oh, Dead Man's oh, Chest. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, a wonderful, incredibly long action sequence that goes for I don't know maybe 10, 15 minutes, um, starting on on the beach as they all fight over the chest. And it this just an excellent uh, fight scene. I mean, action wise, it's. It's fine. It's people sword fighting. It's it's cool. It's got some great moments of little, uh, you know, kicks and swipes and dodging out of out of swords or whatever. But the best thing about it is that it's so funny and so like ridiculous. It just it feels like a like a video game kind of, you know, mm. as they move through all this thing and and so many little jokes and gags happening throughout it as well. And it's very like it's just very well choreographed to me in like in this developing story you can see moments where they i think they lose the key or they they drop the chest or something gets swapped for something else or someone loses their sword 
and then that gets paid off again later. It's a really great, uh, it just drops all these little seeds and all these little, uh, all these little things that, that get paid off, which is really, really excellent. And I think uh, all these little check off guns, that's what I was looking for. Um, yeah. <laughs> to then get paid off later on in the story, which is great because as as I was saying there, like they wouldn't have to do that, but they do, and it makes it so much better than just seeing a kind of funny uh, action sequence. And then on top of all that, you have some of the greatest uh, music to accompany a, an action set piece of all time. That that classic Pirates of the Caribbean music that I'm sure you all know. Um, just just wonderful so fun to watch and uh yeah it sort of it it all culminates in them fighting inside and outside of a large water wheel that has broken off the side of an old house and rolls through the the jungle on this caribbean island as they are yeah uh, dangling from the inside and balancing on the outside trying to fight and steal keys and chests off of each other um I'm sure everyone's seen Pirates of the Caribbean at this point, but man, those those first three Pirates of the Caribbean movies, I think are really, I think that's a great trilogy of movies. I think it really, really is uh, great. I think some of the later ones maybe suffer a bit, but those first three, I would always recommend. I think that's maybe, I think that the memory of those movies has been tarnished a bit by the the weaker later movies. I think people kind of don't, they just think of Pirates of the Caribbean as being all the same, but I think those first first two movies especially, and I think the third one is is good as well. Just just real fun pirate movies if you like pirates, you know, mm. uh, really fun. And yeah, I just I, I I love that fight. It's so funny, and it really like it gets me every time. I think it's so just just a pleasure to watch, you know. 